League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Welcome to Tall City Elections. My name is Michael Todd. I'm the station manager at the Recording Library of West Texas. And with us today is Lori Blong, mayoral candidate for the city of Midland. Uh, Lori, thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I want to ask you something that I'm sure that if you had a nickel every time was asked that you could be a lady of leisure from now on, would you, t- <laughs> would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. I am born and raised here in Midland and grew up here th- throughout my whole life. I went away for college for a few years and then for my early career. Uh, taught high school in El Paso at El Paso Coronado for five years. I was a high school social studies teacher and then started my family at that time and stayed home with babies for a few years. My husband and I have three beautiful children and um, they're now up older. And we moved back here in 2011 to Midland and my husband and I started an oil and gas company together in 2013, which we've worked together and run since that time, almost 10 years now. Um, so really, my, my time has been spent in our community as a mom, a wife, as a business leader, and then now on council for the last three years on the Midland City Council for District 4. Um, and so my, my love for Midland is lifelong, and I'm so thankful to be here in this place where I've decided to raise my family and invest in our community. Do you ever kind of have any sort of uh, split loyalties when Midland plays El Paso? No, none at all. I'm, I'm Midland... <laughs> Midland through and through. No loyalties at all. (laughs) Many of us know with your service of the city council that you just mentioned that it's been a crazy three years that you've been on the council. Can you tell us about that experience and a few things that you're proud of during this time? Sure. Yeah. So I was elected in 2019 and sworn in in January of 2020 before the world lost its mind in March of 2020. And so, you know, we all lived through that together. I feel like this is a thing that has marked our generation um, because we lived through some epic events through 2020 and 2021. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that our council fought to keep Midland as open as possible. We didn't all 100% agree on that on on city council, but we had a, a majority of our city council members who did. And so we were able to open Midland up faster than most of the rest of Texas and certainly mo- mo- faster than the rest of the United States and the world. And we were able to get people back to work and kids back to school as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. We cared well for people, but also cared well for our economy and our businesses. Um, so that was a really critical thing for me through 2020 and 2021. Um, we've also worked really hard to get some long-term planning for water solutions for our generation and the next generation of Midland. So we've executed a contract with Fort Stockton Holdings, also in partnership with Abilene and San Angelo, to have a long-term next generational solution for water security in West Texas. And so I'm proud of that and worked really hard on it and, and looking forward to getting the next steps and that process completed. Yeah, water is such a just the foundation of everything and so important to our area. With this last week's editorial in the Midland Reporter Telegram, you emphasize the value of youth and of your generation stepping into leadership roles. And it's been so neat seeing new names and faces going into these roles. Since you've got that experience on the council, but you still also, you know, are youthful yourself, which is one reason why it's so fun to talk with you and, and ask your opinion about things. How do you think that your youthful, energetic voice 
combined with the experience that you have, best serves a mayor and her citizens? Absolutely. I think, you know, we know that Midland is right now, our average age is 31 to 33, depending on who you talk to, but in any case, very young. And we know that that's actually trending ever lower because we're having such a baby boom in Midland, Texas. And so as we look at the population of our community, we look at the growth patterns of our community, we see that this youth is a hallmark of Midland today. And so I think my perspective, you know, I, I actually am not ashamed to tell you that I turned 40 in a little over a month. And so I think that I have that perfect mix of experience, but also youthfulness to understand the perspectives of of longtime Midlanders who've been here through the booms and busts of multiple generations, but then also the young people that are coming here to build a life in a community here in West Texas. We have to keep an eye on both perspectives and really have a balanced perspective in leadership in our community. Uh, We have people that have been here for a long time who've seen all the ups and downs of the oil and gas business, all the ups and downs of the economy of Midland, um, and who really love our community and want the best for it. But then we also have to see that we've got these young people and these children and and all of the people that our community is responsible for. And so we need a leader who can see that from both perspectives. We hear a lot about public-private collaborations. Can you explain a little bit about those, the benefits and any cautionary tales to go along with that as well? Mm-hmm. I think Midland is made up of predominantly a conservative community. We have a, a people here in Midland who really love our community, but also don't want to be overburdened with taxes. And so with that in mind, over the last few years, we've seen this rise in public-private partnerships where individual companies, whether they be publicly traded companies or private companies, are investing in some big civic projects with the city of Midland to be able to do more in our community than we could do with taxpayer dollars alone. So one good example of that is the water treatment facility that Pioneer has partnered with the city of Midland on, where we're taking the effluent water that's produced by the community of Midland, and Pioneer has helped to put in a facility Uh, with a public-private partnership of investment to take that water, treat it minimally, and then they're able to use that for completions in the oil oil field. And so we've taken something that is a nuisance. It's a a problem for Midland, something that we have to figure out how to uh, dispose of, and we've made it a productive thing for an oil company. And so that partnership is to the benefit of taxpayers. We've also seen the same thing with the downtown park conservancy, where the city contributed land and a small amount of money, relatively small amount of money, and then private dollars came in to fully renovate downtown Centennial Park. And so that public-private partnership allowed us to have a much smaller investment of taxpayer dollars, but then when you add the private dollars on top, we have a better product and a better thing for our community moving forward. So think back 40, 50 years, 60 years ago, the benefits that we are having now from the water projects that that generation did. It's it's wonderful now that the people at this point are creating these types of projects to to continue that legacy forward. I agree. And I think that it's important to note that we today stand on the shoulders of leaders that came before us. So if you look back over the generations of visionary leadership as mayors and city council in Midland made plans in the 50s and 60s for acquiring the water rights in Winkler County for T-Bar water, we're now drinking that water um, today in Midland. But that was planned for you know, 50, 60 years ago. And I I think that that 
is an important thing for us to remember today. We're standing on the shoulders of people who came before us, who planned ahead, but we're also called upon today to be able to plan ahead and provide a better Midland for our children than we experience right now. And so it, it takes an eye on what we're dealing with right now. What are the immediate concerns and struggles of Midlanders, but what are the things that we need to plan for and prepare for for our kids in the future? Being sensitive to the taxpayers, how do you balance, say, quality of life issues that people talk about that might be more attractive to companies coming in with the kind of more nuts and bolts things that the city does, say, uh, like infrastructure? How do you keep that balance? I believe that the primary role of the city government, whether that be Midland or anywhere, I think that you know, the the primary role that we have as city leaders is to care well for the emergency immediate necessities. So that we have to do that first. And that is providing water and basic infrastructure, providing for the needs of our community. And we get those basics handled first. We keep our heads down and we focus on the most economically responsible, fiscally responsible way to manage those needs. And then once those needs are finished and we're, we've, we've fulfilled the things that are our immediate requirement. And I would also include police and fire first responders in there. Um, once we've cared for those immediate needs, then we can turn our perspective to um, what I would consider to be more wants in our community. We care for our needs first and our wants second. And so a lot of those quality of life issues are what I, I would put in the secondary category as a want to have green space and adequate parks for our families and um, outdoor living and, and other amenities for the community. They're essential to build the society that we want in West Texas, but they're not as fundamental as water and sewer and some of the other things. And so keeping those rightly oriented in our mind, making sure that we're caring for necessities first and then for those things that we want second, I think helps us to balance our budget. It helps us to prioritize needs for the future. And and then also it allows, again, back to the public-private partnerships, we're able to say, okay, we've cared for the, the needs of our community and we can get get 10% of the way there on the wants. So what private entities are going to come alongside and help pay for and, and really elevate the things that we want to make our community better? In one of your editorials, you listed several accomplishments from the last three years. And one of the things that stuck out to me are the dismissal of vendors, a lobbyist, and changes in leadership with the Midland Development Corporation. And that can't have been the most fun meetings at the council to have to go through those things. But I don't understand how the length of time those things were going on, that it just was recurring. I'm not trying to throw mud at the previous leadership, but how did we get into the into those situations? Yeah, I would use two examples. One of those is the lobbyists and the other is the parks uh, maintenance con contract. Um, in both of those instances, they were in effect for around 20 years, give or take. And so for the lobbyists, for example, we had employed a, a lobbyist in Austin and paid them faithfully for almost 20 years. And they were advocating against us on a specific project where they were representing us and they were re representing a counterparty in a disagreement. And, and they were not working in our best interest. And so when we, Jack Ladd and I actually went together, uh, met down in Austin and were able to meet with them and say, okay, show us what you've accomplished for Midland and there wasn't anything to show for it. And so we, we 
thankfully we're able to catch that quickly and, and fire them and, and terminate that contract. And so I think that was a good decision. Um, with, when you look at the parks maintenance contract, I believe that that was just a slippery slope over the years where it was a combination of factors. Um, a previous council had cut the budget for our parks and they had cut out um, paying for pre-emergent in our parks. And so we got parks full of stickers and irrigation issues that were not being handled. And then we also had this maintenance contract where mowing was not taking place on the schedule and with the accuracy that it needed to be. And I, I think that that was not malicious on anyone's part. I think it was just a slippery slope of, of a diminishing quality. And so what we did was we broke that contract out into three different parts. And we have contracts now with three different entities um, that, that are really competing and allowing free market to elevate the product that they're producing for the citizens of Midland to see who can who can handle our parks the best, who can maintain parks the best. And then we'll reevaluate that contract and award that either keep it split out or award it to the group that is able to do the best job for us. And so I think we need to take that perspective for all of our city contracts and make sure that we're getting the best bang for our buck as a community and we're holding contractors accountable for the work that they're doing. Speaking of work, uh, one of the things that came out this last week are the new employment numbers. Midland's unemployment is at 3%, which I believe is third lowest in the state, which Mm -hmm. is nobody can say anything bad about that. I mean, that is really great news, especially, again, after the crazy last few years that we've had. But it does also create a few challenges such as housing or companies who are looking for employees and they're having a hard time finding them. Does the city have a role in any way with those types of challenges in the community? Mm-hmm. I think that it's interesting the way that you brought that up with the unemployment numbers. I've heard it said that everyone in Midland who wants a job has one. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think when you get down to 3% unemployment, that is certainly close to that number. And so we do have issues with, you know, services and in, in different service oriented uh, businesses, but also in the oil and gas industry where you it's difficult to hire a qualified individual for a reasonable price because they can go and find more money elsewhere. And so it, it creates challenges in our community. I think for the affordable housing perspective, um, the way that our council has chosen to address that is really to make sure that the city is providing the things that we can provide, which I believe are infrastructure. We can, we can pave roads and we can provide drainage and water to neighborhoods that have been underserved in the past. So we allocated some of the ARPA and CARES Act money that we received from the federal government in the last couple of years. Um, as a city, we allocated that to paving roads in Southeast Midland and providing water and, and drainage to those neighborhoods so that more development could take place. And what we're seeing is what we expected to see. And that's that these neighborhoods are developing out lots and and homes in places where they've not been able to develop before. And they're able to put affordable housing in some neighborhoods where that was, is really viable. So, you know, I don't know that it's reasonable for the city to come in and subsidize housing. I would not be in support of that, but I am in favor of the city providing better services to areas where affordable housing can be more uh, economically developed. As compared to running for a council seat where you may be running for a district, you're running for mayor, so you're fanned out all over the city, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. In, in all of these different districts, are you hearing any common themes of concerns from the citizens? 
Um, one of the main things I think is common to all of us is the experience of this um, really historic inflationary process that's taking place across the nation and certainly in Midland. Um, Bloomberg ran an article a couple months ago that we have the highest inflation in the nation right now. Um, and I think that those of us who are grocery shopping for our families are seeing that firsthand. And so those rising costs of just running a household or running a business in our community are affecting all of us. And uh, I really think it's been one of the main things on the minds of people that I've talked about or talked to across the community. And I think that the way that the city can really help there is to make sure that we are managing costs as effectively as possible. We're looking for any place in our budget that is not being handled well, and we're looking at places to cut um, just because we need to care well for the people in our community and the, the burden of taxes and other things on them. So I think that that's critical. I also think that we can streamline city services to benefit the community and make sure that people have access to what they need with water and sewer and all of the, the trash pickup and the things that the city provides. Let's make sure that those things are being handled as efficiently as possible and that people have access to what they need in that process. One of the things that we hear a lot from our listeners who are mainly have low vision or no vision are challenges with public transportation. And we do have Easy Rider, but we hear complaints about that, such as there's no shelter at some of those bus stops or the routes may not be exactly. It's sometimes very confusing and so forth. Would you have any insight into those issues? And is there anything that the city could do to improve that experience for them? I do know that this is an ongoing struggle for the community of Midland. And, uh, you know, Easy Rider is a shared entity or a shared responsibility between Midland and Odessa. And it's governed by a board that helps make decisions in conjunction with their staff. And so there's the staffing challenges that we've already talked about in Midland. We have a shortage of workers, which is definitely impacting the services that Easy Rider is able to provide. But we also have this committee of people that are trying to make well-informed and good decisions for the constituency of Easy Rider. And one of the things that I really think would be a good thing is if some of your listening audience who was willing to apply for the Easy Rider board and participate in that board service so that as they're making decisions for our community, they're representing the voice of the community that you serve. Um, at this point, I don't know of anyone serving on that board who would really have an awareness of the specific needs and concerns of your listening audience. And so I would encourage them to apply uh, through the city secretary's office. There's an online mechanism to do that, or you can also call down to the city secretary's office. Um, but I think that that would be one of the best benefits to our community to really have that voice well represented on the Easy Rider board. That's a great idea. Last question. If a million dollar grant dropped in your lap for the city of Midland, if only it were that easy, <laughs> if you were given an open grant that you could do anything with that, I know a million doesn't go as long, as far as it used to, but uh, what would you use that money for? I think at this point, I've watched how much our investment in Southeast Midland and roads and infrastructure has done for those communities and how we are seeing housing developed there. So I would probably either allocate it to some of these unpaved roads in Southeast Midland that have been sitting there stagnant for a couple of generations, or I would look at investing that into our senior citizen centers um, in the South and Southeast side of Midland. Um, they're, and also the same thing for the health department. Uh, we have facilities that are old and, you know, really have aging 
uh, infrastructure, but also aging cosmetics, just uh, kind of unpleasant in, in aging. And so I think if we could in, invest some dollars, um, if I, you know, if I just had free money and I could allocate it anywhere I wanted to, I think I would put it there just because it's such a need in our community to be able to address those, uh, but not burden the rest of the community who's maybe not utilizing those services. So I think that would be a great place to put it. Those are wonderful ideas. Lori Blong, mayoral candidate for the city of Midland. Thank you so much for being with us today, Lori. Thank you so much for taking the time to interview me. I really appreciate it. Tall City Elections is a nonpartisan and unbiased community project of the League of Women Voters of Midland and the Recording Library of West Texas. The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library did not endorse, support, or oppose any candidates for office or a political party. All candidates for office are invited to participate in this project. 